as we're going through Exodus. I hope you're learning a lot through Exodus. Uh, I hope you're learning a lot about God. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. Remember, one of the major themes is the lordship of God or the fame of God is a major theme through Exodus. If you remember, out of the gate, Moses goes to Pharaoh just as God told him to and said, let my people go. God said, let my people go so that they may worship me. Well, Pharaoh said, who is your God? I, I, I don't know him. I, I'm not letting him go. I've never even heard of him, which is a shame in, in itself if you stop and think about it. The Hebrews, the Israelites have been enslaved for over 400 years, and Pharaoh don't even know the name of their God. That says somebody wasn't doing their job, right? Which speaks to a lot of Christians today because I bet if I could come in to some of your life and walk in your circles and say, hey, do you know so-and-so is a Christian? Uh, if your friends would say, no, not at all, then there's a big problem there. I, I would hope they would say, absolutely. Some of them would say, yeah, and I don't like it. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's crazy, but yeah, I know he or she's a Christian. That's a good thing. That's what your life's about. It's the fame of God. That's the theme that we see run through. So the, Pharaoh doesn't know God, but then after the third plague, Pharaoh's magicians say, surely this is the finger of God. And then Pharaoh begins to ask Moses to plead with God to take away the plagues. Now they know him. They're beginning to know who he is. They don't surrender to him, but they begin to know who he is. That's what Exodus is all about, God revealing himself. That's what the Bible is all about, God revealing himself so that you can know him. So I hope you're learning a lot about God. Now, every good sermon has practical application. As I preach a message every week, I, I want to look for ways to help you apply it to your life. And hopefully you get those things. But the greatest practical application that you can get from any sermon is knowledge of God. We trust the sufficiency of the Scripture. And we believe that if you know God and know His Word, your life will be radically altered. In other words, if you know that God is sovereign, that He is in total 100% control of every event, every circumstance, everything, including your life, that He is omnipotent, which means all-powerful, that he is omniscient, which means all-knowing, that he is omnipresent, which means everywhere. If you know his godness, so to speak, that God is God, it will radically change your life. If you know the godness of God and you know his word, it will cause you to see your marriage different and, and engage your wife or your husband different. It will cause you to see your children different and engage them. The circumstances that happen around you and around the world, you will interpret those differently and understand them and feel differently about them when you know God. And so we want you to know God, and that's what we see in Exodus and all the Bible, really. But in Exodus, the great thing about I love Exodus. It's, a, it's an incredible Old Testament book, as they all are. But there is gold lying. You don't even have to dig for gold in Exodus. You don't even have to pan. It's just lying on top of the ground. It's lying on every verse. And today as we look at Exodus uh, chapter 9, verses 13 through 35, which is plague number 7, you're going to see huge chunks of gold. Now, we looked at plague one by itself, then we covered some ground. We looked at plagues two, three, and four, which was a lot of ground. Then we looked at plagues five and six, which was a lot of ground. And today, we're going to look only at uh, plague number seven, uh, and it is a lot of ground in, in and of itself. It goes from 13 through 35 of chapter nine. God gives some clarifying details to Pharaoh, and so we're going to look at one plague today, and there's a lot of gold, so let's dive in. We're going to look at nine Verses uh, 13 to 35, let's begin in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, as every plague begins, then the Lord said to Moses, it's from the authority of God. 
Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Now, this is an important theme that runs all through the Scripture. Again, God is making clear what's going on, why he's redeeming Israel. Let my people go that they may serve me. He says that over and over, it is a major theme that runs through all the plagues, and I think worth mentioning every week because it's there every week, practically. God says the reason he saved the Israelites, and the reason wasn't just so that they could go down to the Red Sea, sit on the beach and drink margaritas, right? I mean, listen, he wanted them to enjoy themselves. That's not what I'm saying. He wanted them to have life, and God wants us to, 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 to laugh and enjoy life. But the, my point is, he didn't redeem them just so that they could enjoy life and not be slaves anymore and go on about their business. He redeemed them to worship him. That word worship, that word serve means worship. And so it means a couple of different things. It means, number one, corporate worship. Because if you will remember, Pharaoh, when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go so that they can serve me. Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness so that we can feast to our God. That's corporate worship. So that we can feast and party and, 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 and celebrate our God. That's corporate worship. They were going to sing. They were going to listen. They were going to do everything we do in corporate worship. Vital. Corporate worship is vital to your spiritual being. It is vital to you as a believer. It is not okay to be a believer and not be involved in a local community. It's not okay to be a believer and not connect yourself and be committed to the corporate worship gathering. Now, we're not, we don't give out gold stars for perfect attendance here. We're not asking for that, right? I'm not here every Sunday. So we're not asking for that. We're asking for a commitment right? Not perfect attendance, a commitment. It's not okay to be a Christian, to say I'm a believer, to have God to have redeemed you and think it's okay to not celebrate him together corporately. Vital to your Christian walk. But it's not just corporate worship. That word serve, it means with your life, right? With your life. I mean, God redeemed you. If you're a Christian, you need to understand most Christians, and here's what we know today, over half of the Baptist churches over half of Baptist churches have baptized no one in over a year. Now, my point with that is not to say, oh, shame and shame and all this, although that's not good, right? And, and I, my point with that is to say that people, as the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years and the Pharaoh didn't know who their God was, obviously people are in churches all over the country and people don't know who their God is, which is not a good thing. Right, And here's the reason I believe some of that is so. Some of that is so because many Christians obviously think getting saved is the checkered flag. In other words, I gave my life to Christ. I surrendered my life to Jesus. I became a Christian. I got saved. However you want to say that, I've got my, my, my box checked. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. That's it. You see, that's why I think a lot of Christians pray a prayer, get baptized. That's, that's, that's the sum of their Christianity, and it's not Christianity. I, I believe that many people think of their salvation as, as uh, eternal life insurance. 
policy. You know, I have life insurance, right? I mean, I, I, my, I, I've still got young kids at home. I've got a, a nine, eight, nine, and 10 year old. Uh, so I've got a life insurance policy that if something happens to me, man, I want Amy to be taken care of. I want the kids to be taken care of. And so I've got a life insurance policy. Now, guess what? It benefits me not until I die, right? Matter of fact, it don't benefit me at all, right? It benefits Amy if I die, Right? So it benefits Amy and the kids, but it doesn't kick in until I die. Did you realize that's how a lot of people feel about salvation? Man, I'm saved. It doesn't kick in until I die because when I die, it means I go to heaven. That's not salvation. That's not the sum of what salvation is all about. God didn't just save you so you could miss hell as important as that is and as great as that is. He saved you so that you would be transformed into the image of Jesus so people would know your God. He saved you to serve him. He saved you to send you. He, he re redeemed you to represent him. It's important. We see that all through, and so it's important to preach it every week so you know what your life is all about, and it's about representing God. So let's go into verses 14 through 16. He said, for this time, I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. And in verse 16, go, go, go on to verse, uh, uh, verse 16. Uh, verse 16 says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. Now get this, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now folks, this is, this is such a, a huge mountain of gold. We could, just, we could just chip on it for weeks because there's so much here. I'm going to try to sum up these verses in a few minutes, what I could do in over many weeks, all right? So the first thing that we need to look at here is God is making sure that Pharaoh understands why he's bringing the pain. He clears it up for Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, I'm dominating you, little man. I've been dominating you. This is plague seven. I've done six plagues. I'm dominating you, little man. And don't think that you can mount a fourth quarter comeback. In other words, I I'm dominating you. Don't think you're hanging around here in the game and you can somehow mount a fourth quarter comeback. Uh, I could have taken you out. I could have squashed you like a bug on the windshield with a word. But I didn't do that. And the reason I didn't do that is because your life, I've raised you up so that your life is a testimony to the fact that I am God and there is none like me on all the earth. There is no other God. I'm God. People will look at your life and know me, even though you don't surrender to me. Listen, God's purposes are accomplished in both those who surrender and those who don't because God is sovereign. And that's what he's saying about Pharaoh. I've raised you up so that people will know me through your life. Now, here, here's, here's what I want you to understand. God is saying in this that he is not a tribal God. Okay, he's not a tribal deity. When we go around the world, you see this tribe will worship this God. This tribe will worship this God. They might worship this God. And we think, you know what, he's a tribal deity. Some people think, well, God's the God of the, you know, Western world. God's the God. God is not a tribal deity. He is the one true God, and there is none like him on all the earth. Right? Polytheism is real and exists today. The Egyptians were polytheistic. They had a God for everything. They had a God of the harvest. They had a God of fertility. They had a God of health. They had gods of, they had all these gods because they didn't have a God that could, that was sovereign like our God. Matter of fact, those gods couldn't do anything, right? They were manufactured in their mind, but they had, they worshiped all these gods as is the case in many places of the world today. And here's the, here's the danger. Here's what can, it can easily happen. 
When we go to, go to places, uh, they can uh, hear about Jesus. They can hear the gospel. And then if they worship many gods, it's okay. They begin to think, okay, great. We've heard about another God. We can add him into the gods we already worship. It's called syncretism, right? They can sync God with all these other gods, sync Jesus with all these other gods, and it's okay. And no, 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 it's not okay. That can't happen. God is the one true God. He will not share his glory with another, he says. And so, so what, what we're seeing here is that God is saying, through your life, people will know that I am God. My name will be proclaimed in all the earth, and people will know that there is no one like me. You can't sync me with anyone. There are no other gods. And here in America, we look at polytheism, and we think, you know what? Polytheism is silly. I mean, we looked at all those Egyptian gods. I've shown you pictures of some of the Egyptian gods. I mean, you know, the gods, a woman with a frog head, a, a man with a beetle head, a man with a bull head. And we think, isn't that so silly? It's so childish. They were so uneducated to worship all those things that look like that. We see drawn on their tombs. And that's just so uneducated and backwoods and silly. And you know what? Listen, uh, many people around the world that are believers, they look at Americans and they laugh and think we're so silly in the Western world because we sink our God with so many gods. And you say, no, we don't sink our God with so many gods. Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. We just, we just call a God money. We try to, we love God, oh, but we love our money. We love God, oh, but we, we love sex. We love God, oh, but we love our sports. We love God, oh, but we love our kids. And we worship all these things. We love God, but we love us. We try to sink God with a lot of different things. And God says it won't happen, folks. God will not share his glory with another. He is God. He is the one true God. There is none like him on the earth. Now, the purpose of the plagues is missiological. Missiological means missional. M means they're about mission. And, and, and they're, as is everything, your life is about mission. It's about God's mission of making himself known. As I said, God is bringing glory to his name through Pharaoh, and Pharaoh did not surrender to him. God's purpose is accomplished through those who follow him and those who don't. Everything is about mission, and the mission is making God known. The mission is making God's glory renowned. Your life is about God. It's not just about Egypt knowing God. It's not just about Israel knowing God. It's about the whole earth. He said, so my name, before he said, so that Israel will know I'm God, because they had been enslaved for 400 years. He said, so Egypt will know I'm God. Here he says, so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, God wants the earth, people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. He loves the nations. That's why we're passionate about the nations here at LifePoint. That's why we love the nations, because God loves the nations. And if you love God, you will begin to love the nations, because God loves the nations. Now, the message of the Bible is about how God is sovereignly orchestrating everything to make his name famous in all the earth. That's what the plagues are about. God said, you know why I'm doing these plagues? Pharaoh, I could have taken you out. I could have cleaned your clock. I could have squashed you with the word. But I didn't. I'm doing all these things so that people will know me, so that my people will know who I am. People will know my godness. People will know I'm sovereign. People will know I control nature. People will know I control nations. People will know I control hearts. People will know I control kings. It's about me. You see, God, the story of the Bible is that God is sovereignly orchestrating everything to make himself known, right? We want the planets to revolve around us when it comes down to it. We want things to be about us. I mean, we want the cross to be about us. 
We want salvation to be about us. We want my, my kids to be about me. We want my wife, my, my, your husband to be about you. We want my job to be about me. We want everything to be about us. But God said, it's not about you. It's about me. The reason people's lives get so jacked up is because they live their life for themselves. The reason so many dudes get into a midlife crisis situation to where they, they look back and say, man, I've not accomplished anything. I don't know what my life's about. I, I don't have anything. And they make stupid decisions at midlife is because they're living their life for us. That will always lead to unfulfillment. It will never lead to you being satisfied with life because that's not what your life is about. When you want to live on purpose and when you want to live your life the way it was meant to be lived is when you will live in recognition and acknowledgement that your life was given to you as was your money, as was your home, as was your job, as every relationship you have was for you to steward for the glory of God. Then you will never reach a point in your midlife that you will go, I don't know what my life's about. Now, don't hear me say, oh, you worship God and it's just going to be health, wealth, wisdom and everything's going to be great. No, you're going to have bad moments. You're going to have bad times. What I'm saying is you're never going to be dissatisfied with who you are as a being if your life is lived on purpose and not wasted on you, but lived for him. That's what everything is about here. And, 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 and so uh, God is making that clear. Now, over and over, again, it says here, and, 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 and it's a theme that goes all through the place. Over and over, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or Pharaoh hardened his heart, or it was hardened. It says it over and over and over, and, man, that makes some people like, oh, man, that makes me a little nervous. Here's what I want you to understand. It's there, and I think one of the things with this that we get confused about, or one of the things that bothers us, and it, it, it did me for a while, and one of the things that bothers us is we begin to think it's unfair and, and it's not unfair that God hardened Pharaoh's heart because it wasn't, because when we think about God hardening Pharaoh's heart, we think of God as forcing Pharaoh to go against his will or his desires. God's hardening his heart. But folks, that's not what's happening. God is not forcing Pharaoh to go against his desires. It wasn't like Pharaoh was going, oh, I really want to serve God, but God won't let me. I mean, I really, you'll never have someone come up to you and say, I really want to go, I really want to be saved, but God won't let me be saved. That will never happen, okay? That's not what's happening with Pharaoh. Listen, I want to say this twice. I'm going to say it because I want you to get it. God was not forcing Pharaoh in hardening his heart. God was not forcing Pharaoh against his will and against his desires. He was hardening Pharaoh in his desires, now, let me say that one more time because I want to explain it because I want you to get it so you can really. God, when he hardened Pharaoh's heart, he was not forcing him against his desires. He was hardening him in his desires. What that means is this. Every one of us was born with a sinful heart. Every one of us was born with a nature that goes against God. And without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's the way we will run hard until we die. And Pharaoh is getting exactly what he wants. Pharaoh is not being forced against what he wants. He is getting what he wants. He's running away from God, which is what he wants, which is what all of us do when we exalt ourselves and we want everything to be about us. And so Pharaoh's life the, the, the purpose of this, Pharaoh's life isn't so that we could read books about Pharaoh and so that we could sing the praises of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's life was writing the story of God as is your life. 
Again, we've got to get and we've got to understand that my life is given to me and the breath that I breathe today and the blood that runs through my veins is doing that so that I can live on this earth, not just exist, but so that I could live for the glory of God. And when I live for the glory of God and when my life is about the glory of God, that's when life makes sense. Not when life is easy. I promise you, you live for the glory of God and your life will be so much more difficult in so many ways. It will be so, because you're going to be going against the, the cultural stream of everything. So it's not going to be easy. Don't hear me say that. But I promise you, it will be fulfilling when you live for the glory of God. So Exodus isn't just about redeeming Israel from Egypt. It's not just about a band of oppressed slaves being set free. There's something bigger going on here. And the bigger thing is God is letting himself be known. He's making himself known. He's revealing himself as the redeemer. And we'll see this is a shadow of what happens in Jesus Christ as he redeems those who are in captive to sin. And he does it not just so that we can, well, I miss heaven. I mean, I miss hell and I get heaven. Great, I can do what I want in life. No, he does it so that we can exalt him in every area of our life so that people can look at our life and know that there is a God and he has changed us at the core of who we are and they want some of that. That's what our life is about. Let's look at verses 17 through 19. In verses 17 through 19 of Exodus, he says, You are still exalting yourself to Pharaoh. You are still exalting myself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into the safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Now, Pharaoh didn't get it. God said, Pharaoh, after six plagues and after all the pain I've brought, you still continue to exalt yourself. So now I'm going to pummel you with hail. I'm going to pummel you. He said, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to pummel you with hail. So all through this, you're seeing the grace of God. Our bottom line today is fear God. Last week it was just God, which, which meant, you know, only God and no other God, but also God is a just God. Fear God. Fear God. That's our bottom line. We were going over every Thursday when I get my sermon uh, done, I meet with our, young, our, our younger guys and I meet with all of our communicators. I go over my message and, and you know, we, we, we do discipling then. We do leadership training. I talk about sermon prep and all that. And they help me come up with the bottom line. And, you know, here God says, because you didn't let my people go, I'm going to bring the hell. If you don't let my people go, I'm going to bring the hell. Well, we said, hey, you know what we could call this bottom line? Hell yes or hell no. <laughs> H-A-I-L. Because it's either hell yes if you don't let them go or hell no if you do, right? We thought better of that. So, um, <laughs> no, I thought it was a good point, though. But uh, he, he says, I'm going to pummel you with hell because you've refused. You're still exalting yourself. Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand, folks. Learn from Pharaoh. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't continue exalting yourself until God deals with you. Learn from someone else's stupidity. That's the greatest lessons you can learn is from someone else's pain and stupidity. Don't let it be your pain and stupidity that cause you to go, oh, let it be someone else's. Don't be like Pharaoh. We say that every week. Don't be like Pharaoh, okay? So God said he had sent the worst storm in the history of Egypt. And he even told them exactly when it would come. It will be this time tomorrow. Now, don't you wish our meteorologist had that kind of accuracy? 
I mean, man, they bat about 500 at best. We could do that by looking into the sky, couldn't we, and hit it about the same. But God, you know why he can say it's going to rain at this time tomorrow? And not only did he say it's going to rain at this time, what you'll see is it, it, it hail pummeled Egypt everywhere except Goshen. He said, not in Goshen. Laser-guided missile precision, exactly when. Isn't that, isn't that cool that God could just predict that? No, it's not cool. God didn't predict it. God ordained it. That's why he could predict it. You see, I can say, well, I think it's going to rain tomorrow, and it might or might not. Weathermen can say it's going to rain 80% chance, 90% chance, 100% chance, and it's not going to rain, but never God. God predicts it because he is in control of it. He's sovereign. You see, when you know that, when you understand God's sovereignty, his control, then you can begin when things are happening in your life, you don't understand them. You're never going to understand everything about God because he's infinite. You would not want to worship. I, I, I pity the people who worship a God that they can figure out and that they can manipulate and that they can control. I pity the people who worship a God that they dumb down to themselves. I want to worship a God that, man, I can never figure him out. I'm going to fight like everything to figure him out, struggle, wrestle. But I know that I'll never figure him out because he is just that massive. That's his godness. So I'll never understand him. But when I know things happen that I don't understand, I know he's in control. And he's God. And I know he never lies. And I know I trust him. And so see, that, that, that's, that's the most important application that you'll ever get as we go through the plagues. Now, God is, God is sovereign and nothing is arbitrary. And notice here, even in judgment, God has grace. Even in judgment, what does God say? I'm getting ready to do this. And he tells all of e Egypt, what does he say? Bring your livestock in because any livestock, any man, anything left outside is going to be destroyed. Isn't that grace? God said, this is what I'm going to do and here's how you can protect yourself. Even in judgment, God is gracious. Now, here's what I want you to get, folks. We see the judgment of God and the grace of God. We see the love of God. We see the wrath of God. We have to know who God is. And if we always just talk about the love of God and smile as we do it, and as we always talk about the grace of God, we never understand the judgment and the wrath of God. We don't really understand the totality of who God is. We see that God is God, and he is just, and he is gracious, and he is incredibly loving, and he also has wrath that's poured out on those who oppose him. And we see grace even in judgment. Let's look at verses 21, 20 and 21. He says, then whoever feared the word of the Lord. This is, I think, one of the most important things you can get out of today's message. And I know there's different things for different, God has different things for different people. But then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and in his livestock into his houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So what it says is it talks about fearing the Lord here. That's the, that's the theme that I want you to pick up on, the fear of the Lord. You know, that's all through the Bible. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1.7, the first proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. All through the Bible, we're taught to fear the Lord. It's a dominant theme in the Bible, the fear of the Lord. Now, let me explain to you what that means because many people are confused. I think it means, I think it should mean two different things to two different people. I think the fear of the Lord to those who are not Christian should mean they should be shaking in their boots. I mean, literally, if you are watching online, if you're in this room and you are not a believer, 
it should be like scaring, shaking in your boots fear because the judgment that he's bringing upon Egypt, if you read Revelation, read Revelation 16, the bowls of wrath, that judgment that he's, we're seeing poured out on Egypt is nothing like the judgment that's going to be poured out upon those who reject him in the end. That should cause you to shake in your boots if you don't know him. It's a literal fear. Now, for the believer, I think it's completely different. Because you see, I don't fear God's judgment. Why don't I fear God's judgment? Because Jesus took my, his wrath for my sin upon the cross. You see, Jesus took his wrath, that's the promise of God, for my sin. He paid the price for my sin. And so the fear of God for the, not, for the non-believer should be literal fear shaking your boots. The fear of God for those of you who are Christians should not be fear of God scared shaking your boots. It should be revere and respect. Moses defines it here, I think gives the greatest definition, clearly explains what the fear of the Lord is in the Bible. He says here, what happened? Those who feared the word of the Lord did what he said. Did you get that? Those who feared the word of the Lord did what he said. Now, we don't know if that means that they were saved. They were Egyptian. We don't know. The servants, the Egyptian servants that feared the word of the Lord took the livestock in. They did what he said. I don't know if that means they submitted to God or not. I do know that in, on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, there were Egyptians there. And I point that out because I want you to understand God doesn't hate Egypt. God loves all nations. He will deal with anyone who rebels against him. He will deal with anyone who does not uh, surrender to him. Okay, but God wants people from every nation, every tribe, every language. That's why we're passionate about the nations. So I don't know if these Egyptian servants who did what he said surrendered to him, but here's what I know Moses gives us a clear definition. He defines clearly what it means to fear the Lord. Those who feared the Lord did what he said. He also tells us what it means to not fear the Lord. And that, and that doesn't mean that they hated God. We think somebody doesn't fear the Lord. Well, it doesn't mean that they hate God. It means that they hear God's word and ignore it. They hear God's word and ignore it. If you, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to pummel you with hell tomorrow. Hell, eh, I don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. You hear the word of the Lord, you ignore it. That's, that's not fearing God. You hear the word of the Lord, you, you respond to it. You obey it. That's the fear of the Lord. A few years ago, Amy and I were in Brussels. And we were serving at our, our Brussels campus, and we hopped on a, a, a train in Brussels. We were with Kyle and Amy, his Amy, and we hopped on a train in Brussels, and we went to, to Paris for the day. It's so close. And, and uh, we went to the Louvre. You know, it's a famous museum there in Paris, most famous museum in the world probably, and all these epic works of art, the Mona Lisa, the, you know, uh, the, the, do the dogs playing poker. I'm kidding. Uh, the uh, uh, Venus de Milo, you know, all the, uh, uh, all the great epic works of art. And, I mean, all these people just, Amy, I mean, if you could have had a video camera carrying, uh, carrying you know, just videoing us, wouldn't it, have been, wouldn't it have been like silly? You'd have, if Amy, she's just like in awe of all these works of art. We're standing in front of the Mona Lisa, and, 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 and first off, I thought it was like bigger. It's just a little painting, you know, a little, little thing. And, and, but we're standing in front of it, and, and Amy's like all in awe of this, this Mona Lisa, and I'm just standing there checking my fantasy scores. <laughs> you'd think, he is stupid. You know, you'd, you'd have, if, if that were the case, you'd, you'd probably be justified in firing me because you don't deserve a stupid pastor, right? I mean, that's like, are you crazy? You're standing in front of the Mona Lisa and you're checking your fantasy scores? Listen, that, that's a faint shadow of what it is when you stand in front of the Word of God and you just ignore it. 
right? The fear of the Lord is hearing his word and responding and doing what he says. When we don't fear the Lord, we hear the word and we ignore it. Nah. My question, do you fear the Lord? If you're not a Christian, I know you don't have fear of the Lord. If you're a Christian, do you fear the Lord? I believe it's very possible. I know it's very possible. That's why over half the church, Baptist churches, have not baptized anybody in a year because they're full of people who don't fear the Lord. Because we hear his word and we don't do anything about it. I believe there's so many Christians today who have no fear of the Lord. Do you? And everybody in here would probably go, oh yeah, I fear the Lord. Really? Well, here's some questions. Do you hear what his word says about sex? And do you go, eh, a little outdated. Ah. Uh, I understand, but I'm the exception. Nah. Or do you do it? Do you hear what he says about money? God clearly says what we should do and how we should, how we should steward his money. Do you do it? Do you tithe? Do you, nah. Man, I, I earned it. I, I need to, I, I don't even know how. Man, I, I, I've got myself, I've got this, I've got these, this, 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 this. I can't afford to tithe. No, I love these things more than I love. Do we do it? Nah. We, we know what he says about Forgiveness. We know what he says about marriage and fidelity. We know fidelity. We know what he says about do. Do we hear it and go? Eh. Do you fear the Lord, man? I, I, listen, I have, you, I have to dance all in my backyard. I'd preach a sermon to me before I preach it to you, okay? But I have to preach it to you too. Do you fear the Lord? That's one of the greatest things that you can learn from Pharaoh is he didn't fear the Lord. And I believe it's possible for Christians to love the Lord and not fear the Lord. And that's bringing pain. Because if you fear the Lord, you're going to bring blessing. If you don't fear the Lord, you're going to bring pain, just like Pharaoh. Let's go on and read verses 22 through 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast and on every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord set thunder and hail, and the fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire and flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation." The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Now, as we look at this, Moses raises his staff to heaven. I believe he raised it to heaven to make clear that this was God's judgment upon Egypt. You know, hail's a natural thing, right? The weather is a natural thing. People said, oh, it's just nature. No, Moses made sure people know this is God, and he's bringing judgment upon Egypt. And notice it says that this was, again, the worst storm in the history of Egypt. Now, Egypt was established in 3700 B.C., right, 5700 years ago. This happened uh, in 2000 B.C., 1700 years Egypt had existed and had never seen anything like this. God is making sure that people understand he is in control of nature. He is bringing the judgment upon Egypt. Let's go on and finish it out, verses 27 through 35. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for, these, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. 
Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord your God, the Lord God. Then here's a parenthetical statement. Again, God's saying, I've got grace even in judgment. The flax and the barley were struck down by the hail, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer was not struck down, for they are late in coming up. God said, I didn't take away all your sustenance. Eat grace and judgment. It's so, in parentheses, so Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the, th- and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and, and hardened his heart, he and his servants, so that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. In verse 27, we seem to get what we've been looking for. Pharaoh seems to repent. This time I have sinned. This time. What about the other times? Right? Even his wording is showing I'm not really serious. He said, this time I have sinned. I'm, me and my people, we're wrong. The Lord's right. Now, folks, to be honest with you, that sounds like true repentance because that's what true repentance is. True repentance is saying, I confess God's right, I'm wrong. That's true repentance. I confess God's right, I'm wrong. That, that takes a real man, a real woman to say, by the way, because most of us do not want to say anyone's right and I'm wrong. Most of us don't want to say I'm wrong, all right? God's right, I'm wrong, I confess, I've sinned. That is true confession and true, confe- true repentance. Problem is, true confession and true repentance is not just words. True confession and true repentance is more than words. It, 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 Pharaoh was speaking religious talk. He was speaking religious words, playing a religious game. He wasn't genuinely repenting. Moses says, I'll pray for you, not because I believe you're serious. I know you don't fear God. I'll pray for you because I want you to know that when I pray and God stops this, you're going to know that he sent it and he stops it and you and all the world again is going to know because this is not just about you. It's not just about Egypt. It's not just about Israel. It's about people knowing God is God. That's why I'm going to do this. I don't believe you, Pharaoh. I know you don't, you're not serious about walking with the Lord. I know you're not serious in your prayer and your commitment to the Lord. I know you're not. I know that, 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 that you're not serious about following him, but I'm doing this because I want you to know he's in control. He commands the storm. He's in charge of nations and nature and kings and hearts, and he's in control. And so Moses prays, and God stops the hail and the storm, and Pharaoh proves that his repentance was false, that it was fake. Folks, remorse isn't repentance. Did you get that? Remorse isn't repentance. Listen, do you know how to tr- prove genuine repentance? Do you, do you, there's only one way to prove genuine repentance. And that's what, when you wait and see what happens. Because someone who genuinely repents, man, someone who genuinely repents are truly sorry for what they've done. And it, it goes more, that's, that, that, that's remorse, but true repentance means I'm repenting, I'm turning. You know, when I was a boy, my mom and dad are here today and so if somebody, you see somebody that looks just like me, that uh, less, less better looking than me, of course, but uh, do something crazy, it'd be him, not me. So my dad, but my mom's here, and she can tell you. 
I had a lot of remorse when I was a kid, but I didn't have a lot of repentance. She's talked to me. She's been here since Thursday, and they've talked. She's talked about the trouble I caused her and how I run her all over the neighborhood and hospitals and, I mean, got in trouble, and I was, I was always in trouble doing something because I had a lot of remorse, but I didn't have a lot of repentance for anything I did, <laughs> right? I mean, man, I was always sorry I got caught. I was always remorseful I got caught. I was always remorseful of consequences. I didn't want to get caught, but I wasn't repenting. Listen, that is what a lot of people do with their walk with Christ. Did you know that? A lot of people do their walk with Christ. Man, I, I, I'm playing a game. I'll, I'll pray this prayer because, man, I, I, maybe I, 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 don't, I want a girlfriend. Maybe I want a job. I want God to give me a job, and I'll do this. God, maybe, you'll, maybe I'm, I'm rubbing the bottle of the genie hoping God gives me a, bo- a job or a girlfriend, or I, I don't know, maybe even, man, I, I want heaven, I don't want hell, and, and, and you should, and that, that, that's not bad, right? But are you making a true repentance, or are you just wanting something and then just going about life? It'll, it'll be proven later. It'll be proven out, whether it's genuine or whether it's false. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't play religious games. Don't have fake repentance. Don't have remorse only. Don't be like Pharaoh. We can learn so much gold in this passage, so much gold. And, and, and what I want you to get to, do you fear God? You see, Pharaoh kept exalting himself. Don't keep exalting yourself until God deals with you. Learn from Pharaoh. Do you fear God? Pharaoh didn't fear God. It brought pain. Fearing God brings blessing. Not fearing God brings pain. Do you hear what God says and do it? We're not looking for perfection. You won't be perfect on this planet. But here's what, when you have genuine repentance, here's what happens. When you fear God, you begin to love God more. You begin to love sin less. You begin to love God more. You begin to love sin. When I commit sin, it grieves me because I've grieved the heart of God, and I don't want to do that. Does that grieve you? You're going to commit sin. You're going to have old attitudes come out. You're going to have old actions. That's going to happen. But do you love God more? Do you love sin less? It's not just about getting your eternal life insurance policy and waiting until you die to cash it in. That's not what Christianity is all about. It's a daily fight. Do you fear God? God has no rivals. God has no rivals. God is the one true God. So today, if you're not a believer, I want to ask as, as, as Travis and our band comes, we're going we're gonna to enter into a time of response. You've heard the word, you respond. That's what we do. You've heard the word, you respond. And so today as Travis comes and, and leads us and Micah and as they lead us, they'll release you. We're going to do a couple of songs of response. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings and we're going to do that. That's a way to respond. And I've already given mine. I give mine. Uh, you can fill out an online thing online and do it recurring. And, and you can do that. You can sign up for EFT. I've already done that. Some of you are going to give here because that's what you like to do or prefer to do or need to do. How you get paid. We're going to, we're going to respond by tithing. We're going to respond by by praying, some of you need to respond by repenting, some of you need to respond by confessing, some of you need to respond by, by just worshiping. You respond however God's led you to do. I ask you and challenge you in your heart, say, God, do I fear you? Help me to fear you. Help me to listen and obey. If you're a believer, if you're not, come back and see us at the next steps. Come back and see us so that we can help you understand what it means to fear the Lord and put your love and trust in him. Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for, God, the, oh, Lord, the so many ways that you have blessed us. And, God, even in, our, even in judgment, God, you give grace. Thank you. As we look through Exodus, we see so many. God has no rivals. God, you're a just God. There's just you, no one else. And 
you are a judging God and your judgment is just. God, help us to fear God. God, God has no limits. God, you're omnipotent. God, I just pray that we would see these plagues not as something that happened 4,000 years ago and a stories to read, but as something that happens every day when people don't fear you. And I pray that it would change our life. I pray that today you would bless this church. I pray that you would bless those that are at camp, bless those that are on mission teams, bless Mike and Ashley as they go. Bless us as we bless you. Help us to honor you in our life. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.